I know there's some Weather Channel fans in here and some Jim Cantori admirers. And I know uh, you get excited about warmer weather because it's uh, hurricane season. And Jim Cantori gets more and more up front on the Weather Channel, and you can admire him. And I don't know if you've, you've thought this, but it seems like hurricane season has become like a, a reality television show or a, a soap opera. So when you get into the season, you have all these previews, hey, hurricane season's coming, you tune in, and then you can follow not just a tropical depression, but a tropical raindrop that comes off of the coast of Africa, and they'll, they'll track it for you all the way across to see, you know, and you have to tune in every day to see what's happening in the tropics. And, and because we're familiar with that just from the Weather Channel and also living on the coast, and many of us have been here when a hurricane has come near or even come through, you, you understand in a hurricane there's two different kinds of winds. There's the, the circular winds and the prevailing winds. The, the circular winds is how, how you measure a, a storm. So if the circular winds are above 74 miles an hour, then you have a hurricane one status hurricane. If, if they reach 155 miles an hour, then you have a hurricane five. And so these circular winds are what the meteorologists measure in order to determine what the category of the hurricane is. But, but the surface winds are not the winds that are controlling the direction of the storm. The prevailing winds are controlling the direction of the storm. They, they are determining where the storm goes, how, where the storm ends up. And in John chapter 18, I think it's fair to say that we have a category five hurricane hitting in John chapter 18 in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and in this garden, we have all kinds of circular winds happening. And we also have a prevailing wind. And so we want to take a look at this. We want, to, we want to try to examine all of the forces, seen and unseen, that are bearing down on this particular moment. And we see some of them readily. Jesus and his band of 11 disciples, they've lost Judas. He's coming in a different way. They're, they're leaving Jerusalem. They're going down a valley and then up a little bit into this special garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. It's an, an olive orchard. And the Gethsemane is, a, is the name of a giant stone that you would put on olives that would press the oil out of the olives. So they're going to the place where there's great pressure the garden of great pressure. And certainly there is a tremendous pressure that's happening at this particular point. Coming on a different path to the same garden is Judas, and he's gotten a band of soldiers to come with him. And then there's spiritual forces at work. I mean, you, you, We've said this before. Satan is in, in all of his efforts trying to tempt Jesus away from the cross, trying to get him to, to give him his power. And we know from another gospel that uh, an angel actually attends Jesus in the garden. The, the pressure is so great that Jesus himself needs an angel to come and in some unseen way lift and help carry this pressure. It gives you a, a sense of maybe um, understanding you remember when the disciples came with him and they fell asleep? 
And you sort of get frustrated. You're like, come on, guys, this is, like, this is the critical moment. But imagine if, if Jesus feels this darkness coming in and this pressure, this pressure that's coming down on this moment, and he himself obviously in a different place, but feeling this weight, he needs the attendance of an angel. You can imagine the pressure that was on these disciples as well. So, so we have this circular wind here in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's it, it's it full tilt. And our question as we look at chapter 18 is, well, these are the circular winds, but what are the prevailing winds? Who's really in control of the outcome of this storm? And that's my question for you is, who's really in control? Not only in this moment, but in this moment here today. When you read through the chapter, what you see is several different characters, and they're all exhibiting a, uh, they're trying to all exhibit a kind of godly characteristic or divine characteristic. Each character in the story is trying to exercise these two divine characteristics. They're trying to exercise divine foreknowledge. And they're trying to exercise divine sovereignty. Every character is looking down the, the page of time and they're projecting what's going to happen. And then when they make their projection of what's going to happen, then they try to exercise their control to make sure it goes in the direction they want. The divine sovereignty is they're, they're trying to use their control to bend the circumstances to accomplish what they want. And I want to look at those characters quickly. Pilate, he's the Roman ruler. You know that Israel had been taken over by Rome, and so there's a Roman ruler. Pilate is the main governor at the time, and he is paranoid about losing power. And in verse 33 through 38, Jesus has this unusual conversation with him about who's the real king. And Pilate gets nervous because he understands that Jesus is saying in some way he is the king. And so when Pilate gets nervous and he can foresee, well, if this person comes in and he's threatening my being the king, I'm foreseeing that he's a threat to me, I will use my power, I will use my sovereignty, and I will decide that I can't have this, so I'll put him in a place where he can be executed. Secondly, you have the the chief priest and the religious rulers As they've said, Caiaphas has been the person who's already said it's good for Jesus to die in order for the country or the nation to be saved. And in John chapter 12, one of the Pharisees says, look, the whole world has gone after Jesus. So they don't need any special divine foreknowledge. They can already see that their power is slipping away. They can see that Jesus is is gaining the attention of the crowd. They've already seen the power of the crowd in, in in Palm Sunday as everyone is saying, this is the king, he's coming in, and they can see their power slipping away. And so they take control and decide this man must be put to death in order to save our power. Peter. Poor Peter. I mean, he's the one with the master's degree. He's the star pupil. He's been with Jesus now for three years. And he's, he's constantly being heard this over and over again. Jesus saying to Peter, you know, I haven't, I haven't come to be served. I've come to serve 
and give my life a ransom for many. But yet the star pupil gets in this pressure of the circular winds and he can see that it's, it's not going the way he wants it to go. He sees Judas come, and it's not just Judas, it's a band of soldiers that are coming, and, and Peter quickly makes his assessment. He, he can see what's going to happen, and so he takes his sovereign control out of his sheath, and he starts whacking away. And fortunately, he didn't probably hit the, 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 the target. The guy moved his head just enough to get the, his ears lopped off. But you see how what's happening? Pilate, the Pharisees, Peter, the star pupil, they're all in the, caught up in the circular winds of the event. And they're all trying to exercise divine foreknowledge. I, I want it to go this way. I, I see events going this way. I don't like the way they're going. So I'm going to use my small control to make sure they go in the way that I think is best. And it's interesting in the midst of this storm Nobody has any idea what God is doing. God is doing something here, but nobody in the storm gets it. Pilate doesn't get it. The Pharisees don't get it. The star pupil, he doesn't get it. Each character is caught up in the in the circular winds and the surface winds, except Jesus. And although Jesus is greatly affected by the circular winds, he understands there's a he understands there's a prevailing wind, and he's going to trust in that prevailing wind even in the midst of these circular circumstances that don't appear. To be going his way. And John is writing this to help us see that that Jesus in this particular place, that Jesus has a, a supreme confidence in the prevailing wind of God the Father. Remember, he, he looks at Peter and, he's, and, he, and he's, he says, Peter, this is the cup. What does he say? That the Father has given me. I am going to trust, even though these circular winds are not looking good right now, Peter. I'm with you on that. But, but, but there's a prevailing wind that God Almighty is about, and He has handed me this cup. And even though, though this cup may be bitter, I'm going to take this cup and trust, even though the storm is wrecking all kinds of things right now, there's a prevailing wind that when we get out on the other side, we're going to say we're glad we trusted in God Almighty instead of these circular winds. And so my question for us this morning is, we all have circular winds in our lives. We all have circumstances that just quickly on the surface, I wish I could somehow picture every person. Are you a Category 1 today? Are you a tropical depression? Or are you a Category 5? You know, we all might be hurricanes in here spinning around because we all have these circular winds in our life. All of us have them. And, and my question is, are you depending on your, your happiness? Are you depending on your joy? Are you depending on the, 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 the circular winds? Or are you depending on the prevailing wind? Which one of these winds is determining the direction of your life? 
Maybe another way to say it is in an illustration, are you a balloon or are you an airplane? If I take a balloon outside right now and let it go, a helium balloon, it's subject to the circular winds. Whichever way the wind is blowing, the balloon is going to go in that direction. But if I get on an airplane this morning at in Wilmington and I'm planning on flying to Denver, if there's a prevailing west wind, a wind coming from the west, let's say there's a prevailing west wind of 30 miles an hour and the plane takes off, do I think that the plane is going to start going west? No. It has a power to overcome the surface winds so that in an hour or two I'll land in Denver. Because there's a greater power in this airplane that it's not subject to the circular winds. It's subject to a prevailing force. And so is your life like a balloon? You're just always subject to the circular winds in your life. Or is there a prevailing wind? Is there a stream that undergirds your whole life to say, you know, I I see the circumstances in my life right now, but I am going this way, even though the winds may be against me. At this particular point, maybe another, again, just another way to say the same thing. Are are you supremely confident in God's foreknowledge and his control? Are you supremely confident in God's foreknowledge and his control over every surface event of your life? Are you supremely confident? You're supremely confident in his control and his knowledge. Or do you spend your life like these three first three characters exercising divine foreknowledge and sovereignty? You get into the situation, you make an assessment, you can see it's not going your way, so you exercise control to say it must go my way. Or is there a prevailing wind underneath your life? Well, the last character we see here is Jesus. We see he's absolutely confident. He's absolutely in control in the midst of this intense storm. And it's not the first time we've seen it. We've we've been going through the book of John, John chapter 6. He says, the right time for me has not yet come. He said that a number of different times. See, see, he's completely in control of the timing of his life. So at different points, it seems like, is now the time? No, now's not the time. Now's not the time. I'm, I'm supremely in control of the timing of all things. John chapter 10, Jesus says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay down my life. I have authority to take up my life. Jesus has authority over his own life, his own death, and his own resurrection. He has complete sovereign control of when that happens and who has the power to make that happen. John chapter 14, he tells his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back. I I want you to be sure I'm in control of everything in the future. I'm not just in control of every timed event. I'm in control of all of time. And then here in John chapter 8, a band of soldiers 
come forward and maybe the most one of the most stunning verses in the whole book or the whole chapter verse 4 knowing all that would happen to Jesus Jesus came forward imagine that I know everything that's going to happen in the next 24 to 48 hours. And I'm stepping forward. I'm I'm this is what I'm stepping forward to. Amazingly, in John chapter 6, a group of people come to Jesus And they say, we're ready to make you king. And what does he do? He steps back. In John chapter 18, they say, we're ready to take you to the cross. And what does he do? See, if I had that option. Hey, Paul, we're ready to make you king. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Just waiting for you to ask. We're ready to take you to the cross. Yep, wrong guy. You see, Jesus is completely in control of all things. He knows just when to step forward and, and just when to step back. Because he's not, he's not primarily concerned about the circular winds. He's greatly affected by the circular winds. But he understands that there's a prevailing wind in his life that he's trusting over the circular circumstances and so jesus in verse six helping them understand everyone on the scene that i'm in complete control they come and ask who they're looking for and they say we're looking for jesus of nazareth and he says i am and at that point judas and the two to four to six hundred soldiers that are with them they all fall down See, when Jesus says that, the whole world starts shaking except for Jesus. In the midst of the whole world shaking and everyone falling down and everyone falling apart, the only person who can stand in the midst of the circular winds is Jesus. He's the rock. He's the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the one who never changes. And he can just say, I am, and the whole world can melt away. And he can just stand there calmly because he understands there's a prevailing when there's a prevailing power about who he is in his life that he's completely trusting in. He's not trusting in the circular winds of his circumstances. Then Jesus starts giving directions, verse 7 through 10. He looks at the soldiers and says, okay, you're going to let these men go, my disciples. Right? Yeah. Verse 11, Peter, you know, you're going to put your sword away. We're not going that direction, right? Okay, we're not going in that direction. You see, it's, it's critical to, for us to see that Jesus is not limited or restricted by evil intent. Jesus isn't limited or restricted by the mistakes and weaknesses of his followers. Jesus has sovereign power to bend all the circumstances to accomplish his will. Is there any possibility as you've read through John and you come to John 18 that you think that somehow Jesus has arrived at this moment accidentally? No, there's no way. 
the, the darkest moment on the planet, this collision force of uh, collision point of indescribable forces come here and and Jesus wants you to understand that in the moment of this most chaotic, darkest moment, I can stand still because I'm drinking the cup the Father has given me. The, the circular winds, the circumstances of my life are not going to have the last word. God's going to get the last word. So, a question. Do you think God foresaw your current circumstances? Whatever category you may be in today of your circular circumstances, do you think you've arrived there and God, God looks down and goes, Golly, how did you get there? Just wasn't aware that you were in this kind of situation. Do you think he is in complete control of your future? Do you think that God has the power to take your sin, your mistakes, the pain you've endured as a result of the sin or evil actions of another person, and bend it to accomplish his will? Do you think he can take your sin, your circumstances, even the evil intent that someone else applied to your life, can he take those and bend them to, to accomplish his will? Yes, he can. If you're a follower of Christ, I'm just asking myself and asking you to ask, does God get the last word in your life? I mean, do you really believe that? See, what, what keeps Jesus moving forward at this particular moment isn't therapy. What keeps Jesus moving forward at this particular moment isn't medication. What keeps Jesus moving forward in the, in the, in the sense that his, his, even his friends have abandoned him is that he's absolutely certain that God is in control, that God understands his circumstances, and that God is going to get the last word. If you're here and you're not a disciple of Christ, I mean, do, you, do you see yourself here? You're exercising divine foreknowledge. You're trying to look out and say, I know this is going to happen, so I'm bending the circumstances because what I want is the critical thing and what I need is the critical thing. Let me close with just a few points here. Understanding Jesus being able to stand in the midst of this chaos is category five and and everyone around him melting down no one understanding what's going to happen no one appreciating what's going to happen here at the cross helps us because if you're like me when your problems get bigger god seems to get smaller when everything's going well in my life i love god too but when the whole world is shaking i gotta keep control of things Suddenly God's out the window and I've got to come in here and I've got to manage and I've, I've got to manipulate. God must be asleep, so I'm coming in to throw all the switches. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. 
And it helps me to know that in the midst of this Category 5, which I, I couldn't ever even imagine being in my life here in the Garden of Gethsemane, God is in control. God is going to get the last word. Even in the midst of this disaster, he gets the last word. It also helps in terms of freedom. You are free not to know the future. That's a great freedom. You don't have to know the future. You're free to live without foreknowledge. You're free from endless speculation about the future. You're free from constantly living in the future. God's in the future. He's got control of that. You live here today. You live right here. And I wonder how much mental space that would free up from many of us because we're so fearful. We're always living in the future. We're never actually living in the present, the time that God has given us. So John 18 frees us from incessantly exercising foreknowledge, something none of us have, and instead asks us to exercise faith. See, Jesus wants his disciples, just just exercise faith here, Peter. You don't need to exercise any foreknowledge. You just have to keep your eyes on me. That's my main thing, and, and it's been happening all the way through. Remember, Jesus gets out on the water, and he's taking his disciples from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side, and what do they encounter midway? Big storm. And the disciples try to take all things in control. We're going to get to the other side. We're going to get back. We're going to do something. And finally, we can't get anywhere. And we can see our boat sinking. We're about ready to die. And they go to Jesus. And what do they say? Jesus, we're concerned about you. You're the Messiah. No. Jesus, we're concerned about ourselves. We are exercising divine foreknowledge and we are all going to die. Was that true? No. It wasn't true. They thought it was true. But was it true? No, it wasn't true. And Jesus gets up and he calms this Category 5, and he looks back and he says, where was your foreknowledge? No. What does he say? I'm freeing you from foreknowledge. What I want you to do is be focused on faith. Where is your faith? And I wonder how much time we spend worrying about foreknowledge versus worrying about our faith. If you spent a lot more time just working on your faith, I think you'd have a lot less energy going out to foreknowledge and thus a lot less energy to sovereign control or what you think is sovereign control. John 18 frees you from being sovereign. Oh, how helpful this is. You know, you don't have to work everything out. That's not required of you. You don't have to fix everything. Every decision doesn't have to go through you in order for it to be right. You do not have to be the filter for every, every decision. You don't need to bring everything to perfection. You don't need to make every right decision. You can trust that even when you make your mistakes on purpose or in ignorance, God, that's not the last word. Amen? It is not the last word when you make a mistake. 
God is always going to get the last word, even when you make a mistake. And so John 18 just frees you up, especially if you're wrestling with God's will and, you, you, and somehow in your mind you think of God's will as this narrow little pass between two, two mountains that if you ever stepped off, then your whole life would just be chaos. It's not true. Because even if you step off, God still gets the last word. He's still in control when that happens. And you can ask Peter about that. God is bigger than your mistakes. If you're a preacher or if you're somebody who's, who's walking through the gospel of John with somebody, trying to help them understand who Jesus is, you and I, we have important words to speak into the life of somebody, but we don't have the last word. I mean, you, you're, you play an important role when you're speaking into the life of that person who doesn't know Christ, but you don't get the last word. God gets the last word. And oh, what a freedom that is. That I don't feel like I have to have the last word. I'm never going to have the last word. God's always going to get the last word. How helpful this passage is, is if you're a parent. I mean, how many parents, how many of us live in fear? Oh, my gosh, my kid's turning out just like me. Maybe your spouse says that about you. I don't know. Your kid's turning out like you. I thought we were going to not do that. But, you know, you just, you, don't you as a parent, you, sometimes you just get locked up with fear. And John 18 just be, cracks that open because even though you have a very important word, and I don't want to take that word away from parents, you have a very important word to give to your kids. You do not have the last word in the life of your kids. God has the last word. And because God has the last word, you can be free even in your mistakes to understand God can bend this mistake to use it for good. John 18:19 is very helpful if you've been abused at the hands of another person. If you were right but somebody did you wrong. God understands how that feels. If you've got something that in this life it's just never going to get fixed. You're never going to unwind that tape. It's never really going to be resolved. Maybe it's something that's happened and it's just you can't say, even say it out loud. That doesn't define who you are. That thing does not get the last word. That other person who violated you, they don't get the last word. God gets the last word. God always gets the last word because he's ultimately in control and he divinely orchestrates things even evil things and he bends it for the good of you and i amen let's pray together lord this is a 